0: Not immune to the lie. Adam and Eve had everything they needed and they still fell for the lie. Below are some things that were given to the first couple that the rest of us spend a lifetime pursuing. They had an intimate conversational relationship with God. They had a great lot, prime real estate. Abundant resources including a river that coursed through the land where there was gold, precious stones, aromatic flowers. They had a calling and a purpose as they were commissioned to tend the garden. They had protection. They had boundaries. They had companionship and physical intimacy. Adam and Eve were blessed, yet they still believed the lie. In fact, Pete Briscoe writes, In my personal experience, blessed people are more prone to fall for the lie than those who aren't so blessed. Read about it in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what was the lie? To the woman who had everything... And the man who was standing alongside her, the serpent, told the lie You're missing out. You think you have it all, but you don't. In fact, what you do have isn't enough. What you're missing out on is so valuable it's worth the price you'll have to pay in order to have it. And the cost was great. In fact, the debt that came with that tree and that fruit is still being paid today. There's an acronym used on social media, FOMO. Who's heard of FOMO? The fear of missing out, F-O-M-O. FOMO, fear of missing out. What are you afraid you're missing? Are you really missing out or are you buying into the lie? It's worth asking because in our society, the fear of missing out can be really expensive. Folks, let's not buy into the lie. He ends with just a simple prayer and he says, Jesus, by global standards, I am rich with more worldly wealth than I understand, yet sometimes I still feel like I'm missing out. I'm blessed but I'm still so vulnerable to the lie. I know that your spirit is a spirit of truth and that in you I have everything and miss out on nothing. So today, I choose to follow truth into freedom. And with, along with Pete Briscoe, I'll just say amen. Amen. It's great to see you here at Grace Church tonight. Turn to your neighbor, give him a fist bump, but tell him you did good. Yeah, you did. You did good. Ushers, would you come this evening? For all of you that are joining us uh, via Facebook Live and live stream, we want to say welcome to you as well. You're a vital part of our church, and we appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us, even if you aren't here in body. And uh, we trust that the Lord will speak to you wherever you are. And for all of you that are here tonight... We say welcome as well. Let's pray over our offering, and our ushers will wait on you. Lord, we are so grateful to once again be in this place and to be able to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears spiritually and our hearts spiritually. Allow us to be able to receive the seed of your word on good ground. Lord, and I pray that you would take this offering that we give tonight and use it in your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as our, us, as our ushers wait on you this evening. Just a couple of announcements before Brother Dave Bunch comes. First of all, we want to remind you, in case you haven't heard, that this coming Saturday is an election day. You might have heard about that on the radio or some other form of media, that there's an election coming. But yes, this coming Saturday, the 16th, election day. Let's get it done just get it done amen whatever the outcome let's just get it done and then we also want to remind you that on saturday november 23rd uh men there will be men's prayer in the a center last saturday of the month has become our custom so at nine o'clock in the morning gentlemen as many of you that can your schedules allow join us for prayer coming Saturday. And as always, you can stay up to date with what's going on here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on the events tab on our web page. Amen. I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm looking forward to what Brother Dave has to say to us tonight. And uh, let's just have a good time in the word tonight. What do you say?
1: Amen. God bless you. and much uh, promoted. And he had a um, a medical appointment this afternoon and slash this evening that went A little later than expected, I think they decided to run a test or two, and so uh, he was not able to get back and get done with all that in time to be here at church. So I I don't have this on on any sort of promise, but knowing pastor like I do, I feel certain that he is going to get into the pulpit and share um, that Bible study just as soon as at all possible. So stay tuned. I'm sorry that I'm not him and that I don't have that topic uh, is God always good? I'm not going to attempt to to teach on that tonight, but um, He will when He returns. So, God bless you and thank you for for being here. Uh, how many know how many know that it's turned cold outside? I mean, if if you like the cold weather, here we go, here we are. Uh, it, it it has finally happened, and I think from what I understand, it's going to be here for for a little while, at least a few days. So. That's good. You know, the only thing, you know, it's hard sometimes, it's hard all the time to get out of bed when the alarm clock goes off early in the morning. The only thing worse than that is when it's cold and the alarm clock goes off early in the morning. That's when it's really difficult to get up and go to work. Amen. Can I get a good hearty amen on that? It's true. It's true. But um, I don't know. Uh, Jason, you may remember what the stat is, but they say if, if you go for a run, if you're a long distance runner, you go for a run that what, when you're, by the time your heart rate comes up and your body temperature elevates, is it 10 degrees? I think you add maybe a little more than that, but whatever the temperature is outside, you can, you can kind of dress for 10 additional degrees uh, because by the time your heart rate gets up and, and you, you start moving, it's going to feel a little bit warmer. I'm just going to tell you, I've learned that when you don't have any hair on the top of your head, you can go ahead and plan for about 25 degrees colder than what it is outside. I told my kids tonight on the way out the door, I said, look, don't be surprised if one of these evenings your dad shows up with a hairpiece just to, just to keep his head warm. I'm um, going to have to find some sort of fashionable headwear if this cold weather uh, hangs on, so... Um, that, those are my random thoughts on the cold weather right there. But at least it feels like holiday time, right? Closing in, it's getting here quicker than any of us care to realize. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to just talk to you tonight, speak to you, maybe have a, have a conversation in, in some sense of the word. Um, and, and I want you to think about tonight... Um, have you really are you living in your potential have you truly realized your full potential in God um, uh, do you feel like you've plateaued or do you do you feel like there's more um, and if you feel like there's more how how much do you desire to to reach that how how hungry are you for more of God how hungry are you to reach your potential um, or on the other, other hand, have you just become satisfied with where you're at? Are you satisfied to come in here on Sundays and have awesome services, to come on Wednesdays and hear the Word of God talk, maybe go to, to, to some fellowship type activities during the week, and you're comfortable with your with your church environment and your your, your church culture, or are you hungry for more? So that's going to be uh, what it, kind of our, our jumping off point? My title tonight is Blessed Are the Hungry, taking that right from the words of Jesus Blessed Are the Hungry. And I want to read two verses of Scripture. They're, they're somewhat of, uh, to me, they, they're contrasting in a sense, and they really, they really kind of package up what I would like to discuss tonight. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 27. Verse 7, one, one verse of scripture, the full, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb. That's a, that's a little bit hard to say. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. That's in the book of Proverbs. Now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? for they shall be filled. So, tonight again, blessed are the hungry. How many of you have an apple in your home? You have an apple. Yeah, right. So, of course, I'm referring to the apple product, the the, the electronic... <laughs> yeah. I, hey, look, either, either answer was correct. I mean, you could have the apple fruit or the apple product. You know, I will take either answer, but I'm referring to... The the device, the computer, the um, iPad, the iPhone, the the AirPods. I, I've got a feeling Santa Claus is going to bring some AirPods to some children uh, in my household possibly uh, this Christmas. So they're they're constantly developing things we can't live without. We didn't know we needed them, but once they they develop them, then we can't live without them. Can't can't have the um you know we don't we, we can't have earbuds with cords anymore, right? That would just be that would be so last year. We've got to have these wireless AirPods. So. Uh, but, yeah, so the Apple, the, the electronics manufacturer, the, the, the folks that have changed our lives forever. It's a fascinating story, the story of the, of the Apple computer, the company, the Apple Incorporated. It's a fascinating story. It's a story of innovation. It's a story of victory. And on the part of Steve Jobs, it was great victory, great defeat, and then great victory again. And... Um, and and it's 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 if you ever get time, you should read a book by a, a guy by the name of Walter Isaacson, the biography of Steve Jobs. It's fascinating. Jobs was an enigmatic man. He was a the the typical genius uh, who was all at once both brilliant and eccentric. He was adopted. He was an adopted son. He he grew up in California in a family of very modest means, and he dropped out of college. He's a college dropout. And, um, and all of that, and as he got older, as you know, the rest is history, he co-founded one of the largest companies in the world, and it blows my mind to think, this is a true statistic, Apple Inc. is larger financially in terms of dollars than some, uh, some countries' economies. It's an amazing statistic. It's bigger than some countries' economies. He started that company out of his garage in California. But in the biography, Isaacson recounts one of the things that had a lasting impression on Steve Jobs' life. Steve Jobs even referred to it in his famous commencement address he gave at Stanford University, which I'll give you a quote there in just a moment. But first, a little background. It was in the late 60s, early 70s, and Jobs, like so many, was part of that counterculture of that day. And at the time, a lot of people viewed this, this new technology, this this pioneering computer uh, technology as, as, a, um, as, as kind of a... They took a standoffish approach, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. They, they saw it as counter, especially this hippie movement, they saw it as counter to the utopia that they were striving for. But predictably, Jobs was one who embraced the changes that technology was bringing to society and thought that both technology and this hope for a nirvana could be embraced together and so at the time he had a friend who was publishing a magazine and the name of the magazine was called the whole earth catalog that's a good hippie name isn't it the whole earth catalog and its underlying philosophy was this sentiment that technology could be our friend and and again you're talking about the 60s and 70s a lot of people weren't familiar with technology those that were were somewhat standoffish and and so Steve Jobs and some of his buddies felt like that it should be embraced and it should be promoted and this magazine this whole earth catalog was dedicated to that end and and here's the, one of the, the the page the first page of one of the first editions they wrote um, the following quote a realm of intimate personal power is developing power of the individual to conduct his own education find his own inspiration shape his own environment and share adventure, share his adventure with whoever is interested. Tools that aid in this process are sought and promoted by the whole earth catalog. Isn't it amazing how accurate that turned out to be? I mean, we pretty much do all of those things every day from the iPhone and social media. Interesting, interesting. It was that final issue of the Whole Earth Catalog that came out in 1971 that Steve Jobs referred to in his famous address to the to the commencement or the commencement address to, to Stanford University, and he says this, quote, quoting Steve Jobs, on the back cover of that final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. And beneath the picture were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. And that's the end of the quote. But that motto became one of the resonating mottos of Steve Jobs' life, and it was part of what drove him in his quest to, as he put it, put a dent in the universe. Now, I want to take part of that. I, I'm not so sure about the stay foolish part, but the stay hungry part. I want to, that, that's kind of my jumping off point tonight. I, I want to encourage us tonight to stay hungry for more of God. The book of Proverbs says that the, the person filled that with, with food or the honeycomb or, or, or that is full does not desire the honeycomb. And it's easy to be satisfied. It's easy to just kick back and say we don't, we're, we're happy where we are. But I want to encourage us tonight as a church. I want to encourage us in our, in our quest as individuals for more of God and to be the best Christians that we can be, to live out the best calling that we can live out. Stay hungry for more of God in your life. We should let our hunger stir us from the confines of the status quo and propel us into the full range and realm of our potential. I love what A.W. Tozer, the great, great theologian, who's even a better preacher, man of God, A.W. Tozer said this, are you satisfied being filled with good information about God or do you long to burst into his manifest presence? I think that gets to the heart of really what I'm trying to communicate tonight. We, we can come and be satisfied with gaining more knowledge about God, and we can be so knowledgeable about the things of God, but, but do we really long for more of His presence in our life? Do we really long for those moments of intimacy with God where earth just slips away and we're caught up into that heavenly realm where it's just us and God? And we we see him face to face, as it were, and we we hear his voice. And and, you know, those encounters have a way of forever changing who we are. They they have a way of forever changing our destiny and they, they have a way of changing our value system and what we go after. And it's it's in those moments, as the song says, that that the things of earth just have a way of slipping away as we turn our eyes and our hunger and our appetite upon him. You know, appetite, hunger, is a, is a fascinating and interesting interesting construct. There's, there's been great psychological experiments done. I'll, I'll refer to those in just a moment. But hunger can drive people to do things that they never imagined. You know, the, 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 the old... Um, what was the old, uh, le, the Les Miserables, the, the guy that stole bread. He was reduced to, he was a nobleman and he was, he was reduced. Victor Hugo wrote, and he was reduced to stealing a piece of bread because he was hungry. Hunger, hunger can even be used as a, as, a, as a tool of manipulation. It can be used as a weapon. Um, this is fascinating. You know, I've referred to it before, but Fair and I, our family, did uh, almost a year uh, on the mission field in Northern Ireland. And I'll never forget, we got there um, for just for a few, we were going for a few weeks to get settled before we, we formally moved. It was in 2006, and we crossed from the Republic of Ireland, which is part of the European Union, and we crossed the border into Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK. And as we did, as we crossed that border, I began noticing signs and banners commemorating something. I didn't know what at the time. It was this was two thousand six and the, the, the sign said nineteen eighty one to two thousand six, you know, and, and it had some kind of slogan on it, we won't forget or never forget or remember something something like this. And so I asked the missionary, he said what happened between what happened in nineteen eighty one, you know, twenty-five years ago that they're commemorating. And he told me he said in nineteen eighty one was the, the what is now famous or infamous hunger strikes. Hunger strikes that that the IRA, members of the Irish Republican Army who were fighting to bring Northern Ireland and Ireland into unity, they wanted to separate Northern Ireland from the UK, make it part of Ireland. They were, because of their paramilitary activity, they were thrown into prison by the British government. And once they got into prison, they found they had no way to fight, right? They didn't have any weapons, they didn't have any way to come against them, come against the government. So they chose a weapon called hunger strikes. They, they chose to starve themselves. Now, that may not sound like much, but I, I actually did some reading on this very recently, some study, it's fascinating. If you ever wanna read a, pas- a fascinating uh, passage of history, you should read about the hunger strikes in Northern Ireland back in the early 80s. A fascinating, fascinating thing. And, and so what they did, here's the thing, it was a public relations nightmare for the, uh, for the British government. Because they, they had locked these people up, said they were a threat to society, which a lot of them were. They were bombing people and things that they shouldn't have been bombing. But, um, but they locked them up, and as these people went on a hunger strike, and, and, and the pictures started being published of them withering away and literally dying, it became a, it became a public relations nightmare for the British. And so in some cases, they tried force-feeding these prisoners so they wouldn't die, right? So, you know, there's a solution. You know, let's force feed them so they don't die. Just kind of prolong their misery. That turned into a public relations nightmare for the British and, and on down the line. But in all, 11 people gave their lives. They starved themselves to death for their cause, which was Irish nationalism, the Irish Republic, uh, separation from Great Britain. So, hunger is a powerful thing. Hunger is a powerful thing. It can be used as a weapon. It can be used... In um, a number of ways, you remember here a while back, there was the, the, the series, that book series, The Hunger Games. And essentially what that was all about was a was a, a was a government in some point in the future, a fictitious government that was using hunger to manipulate the population and create um, and, and create a, a caste system essentially in the population. Hunger is a very powerful, powerful force. It, it does some strange things to people as I mentioned, it, it's such, a, it's such a, a thing, you know, it's such, a, it's such a thing to be studied. Psychologists have done many studies and, and two in particular, two things in particular they found about hunger. One is that when people are hungry, they go into this thing called focalism, focalism. And this is a condition in which the brain, upon finding an object of appetite, focuses on it with such intensity that everything else is blurred into oblivion. So it's intense focus, focalism. It's focusing so much on what you want, in this case food, that it can think of nothing else until that appetite is satiated. And and if you think about it, that's really, really a wonderful, wonderful analogy into our walk with God, talking about being so focused on God, wanting God so much to the exclusion of everything else that nothing else will satisfy that nothing else will do. That, as I mentioned before, the things of this earth just fade away and grow strangely dim because our hunger and our focus is on God. The other thing these psychologists have identified as a trait of appetite is called impact bias. Impact bias. Impact bias just means that your brain can tend to overrate the satisfaction it will get when it finally does get food. So if if eating, uh, say, a candy bar will give you satisfaction of a three or a four on a scale of one to ten, your brain will tell you when you're wanting that candy bar, this happens a lot when you're fasting, by the way. (laughs) When your brain is telling you when you want that candy bar, your brain will tell you you'll be satisfied at like a nine or a ten. You know, that that's really, that candy bar is really going to be the be-all end-all. It's kind of what Jason was referring to earlier about falling for the lie. And it overrates what your satisfaction will be when in reality it might only be a 3 or a 4 now i would say where that's true in the natural with our appetite the opposite is true in the spirit i assure you that the more you get of god the more you're going to want the more you get into his word the more you want it's an amazing phenomenon to me that if we go without reading the word of god and we go without praying for any period of time it's amazing to me how easy our our flesh our our, 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 our carnality will just fall into that pattern and we'll become satisfied with whatever we give it, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a TV show or an activity or a hobby or whatever it may be, we'll just fall into that pattern and we'll be very happy and very satisfied. And then when something comes along, like hopefully this message tonight and jolts us back into pursuing after God, all of a sudden that is, is flipped around and all of a sudden the hunger turns towards God and it's at least in my life I found that when when I really apply myself into the word and I really apply myself to prayer and I I really seek God from the depths of my heart it's amazing how it's like I just want more I just want more I just want more I feel like I just can't get enough of God it's amazing to me how that works but it takes this the this self-discipline and the step of saying, God, I'm going to hunger after you. I'm not going to let myself be satisfied with anything less. You know, a lot of times as kids, and we still do it as adults, have you ever been, you ever been called, you know, you know, Mom, is, is dinner ready? Is dinner ready? I'm starving. And she says, it's going to be 15 more minutes, so what do you do? You go, get, you go grab a bag of chips. And you eat that bag of chips, and you're still hungry. Mom, is dinner ready? No, it's going to be ready in about five more minutes. So you go and you get you know, a big bowl of ice cream, and you eat, you eat your ice cream, and... I mean, you're still hungry. Mom is dinner ready. You're, you're, you're trying to satisfy hunger with things that can't satisfy the hunger. Not really. They give you a temporary, maybe a temporary feel, but they can't satisfy you in any real nurturing, uh, pro, uh, you know, um, um, long-term way. And that's kind of how it is with our walk with God. We can try to satisfy our lives with all these outside things, all these things we put into our lives, but really the only thing The only thing that will ever bring true growth, true fulfillment, true purpose, true destiny is a relationship with God and a hunger after God. I I love the quote. I've preached on it before. I've taught on it before. C.S. Lewis just said, we are far too easily satisfied. We are far too easily satisfied. He says, he goes on to say, we're like the child that's content to play in the mud puddle when there's a vacation at the beach waiting and that's really true. We're, we're so easily satisfied. My prayer tonight is that God would give us a hunger for Him. I want to read a, um, a passage of Scripture. I want to, I'm going to bring out three passages of Scripture here that, where I feel like Jesus addressed hunger. He talked about hunger at some level. And I want to make some observations and hopefully some application to us as well. The first is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9-11. through 11. And let me just read that in your hearing, verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 9-11. through 11. Jesus was, was talking here, kind of in the middle of that, of that discourse on the Mount of Olives, the Sermon on the Mount, and He says this, He says, What man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? This text, this portion of Scripture is really about hunger. Jesus is, is saying, you know, He's comparing basically physical hunger, uh, the physical hunger of our children and our ability to fill that need with spiritual hunger for the kingdom. And so He asks the question, if your child asks bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked fish, would you give him a serpent? Or stated another way, basically, just to put it in our language, he's saying, hey, if your kids are hungry, aren't you going to feed them? Aren't you going to make sure that they don't go to bed hungry if it's in your power to do? Of course you would. The answer is yes, absolutely. And as much as we could not bear the thought or the idea of our kids going hungry, God is exponentially more interested in filling our hunger. Not always the desire or the hunger for things, Not always the desire for prosperity, but that spiritual hunger. Jesus is asking rhetorically, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? So as our Creator, as our Father, uh, He wants our hunger to be filled, and He's promised that He will do that. All we have to do is ask you know how it is when your kids ask they say i'm hungry i'm hungry i'm hungry you may deny them for a while but if that keeps up for any length of time you're gonna do something about their hunger oh yeah when you're on that long trip when you're on vacation and they start in and say i'm hungry and you're like yeah we're gonna eat after a while and this keeps on before long you're looking for chick-fil-a i mean you're you're ready to drive through and take care if it would mean they will be quiet then you'll just go ahead and take care of that hunger. God's saying the same thing. We just have to ask. We just have to get hungry. We just have to stay hungry. God will fill it. God will, the Bible says He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's not going to happen haphazardly. It's not, you know, we can't just show up and do the routine and just kind of yawn through and, and all of that. But if we're diligent, if we stay hungry, if we, if we truly go after the things of God, He's promised He'll fill it. But it's up to us. We have to initiate it. We have to go after it. We have to ask Him to fill. It. Now this is not the only time that Jesus addresses this idea of hunger. It's not the only time he compares spiritual hunger to physical hunger. Look at John chapter six, John chapter six, verse 25 through 36. Jesus teaches his disciples another important lesson about hungering for the things of God. And as we read through this, I want you to watch how Jesus was trying to get them to be kingdom-minded. He was trying to get them to think about spiritual things, eternal things, and they kept coming back to, to physical hunger. They, they, it was like Jesus was doing everything he could to talk to them and teach them, and they just couldn't get past the, the, the obvious and see past the, the obvious for the application. Look, let's look at this, verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you come here? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw miracles. You're not seeking me for the eternal, but because you ate loaves and fishes and were filled. The right, of course, prior to this is when Jesus broke the bread and broke the fish and fed the five thousand. He says, Labor not for the meat which perishes, for that meat which endure, uh, I'm sorry, labor not for that meat which perishes, But for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They therefore said unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers, now here we go again, they're going back to physical food or physical appetite. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. Jesus is essentially telling them, look, you believe on me because I could do something about your physical hunger. And you're talking about miracles that happened to your forefathers in the wilderness when their physical hunger was filled but he says, really, you need to be seeking me because of the eternal things. He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, this is what really matters. This eternal mission that I'm on, this establishing of the church, this, this role you get to play as disciples, as men and women, caught up in this great narrative that is Jesus Christ founding the church. That's what you need to hunger for. That's what you need to be a part of so he uses this occasion, he uses this occasion of feeding the 5,000 to make an analogy of seeking and tells them they need to seek, to seek after the things that will endure. So in other words, he's saying, don't ask for a sign, ask for a hunger. Don't ask for a sign, ask for a hunger. And so tonight I would just challenge you, Grace Church, in your life, as a church movement, as a community, but as individuals as well, it's time to go beyond the superficial. It's time to get past what just appeals to the flesh or what we think might be the right thing to do or what we think might be good. It's, it's time to pursue God on His terms. It's time to pursue the things that are going to last. It's time to pursue and stay hungry for the eternal. Oh, I, I think all of us here tonight, myself included, we've all had those moments Maybe it's down here at the altar, or maybe it was in a prayer closet somewhere. Maybe it was in, in a, with just a couple of people, but you were praying and and you got caught up in the presence of God and and you caught that glimpse of the eternal. And in that moment, you thought, "I'll never be the same." And I'll when I when I, when this is over, I'm going to be changed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go after God at a different level. I'm gonna hunger for God at a different level. And somehow, life has a way. Somehow life has a way. Anytime we make up our mind to be better, anytime we we make up our mind to pursue the right things, anytime we make up our mind to hunger after God, life just has a way of throwing distractions at us. Life has a way of of just causing us to to fall fall off at some level. But tonight, the good news is is that you can reorient. You can can get another, another fresh start. You can, you, can, you can turn your eyes on Jesus. It's, it's, it's where Paul said we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I don't want to see through a glass darkly. I don't want, I, want my eyes, I don't want my eyes dim. I want to see him for who he really is. Because if I can see him for who he really is, I'll be impacted forever. I'll be eternally changed. And that, in turn, will change the world. Another observation about being full, about eating food i heard this is a true story i heard um a couple years back at ranch day i heard mike Frazier and tim semino some of you know those guys they got into a discussion about the best way to kill ants what do you do about ants what is the best way now these are these guys you know they've they've done some things they've lived their life hard work and um they they've seen some stuff especially out on the ranch but here's what they concluded ultimately. If you didn't know this, go home and try it on your ants. They concluded that if you feed grits to ants, that the ants will eat the grits, the grits will swell up inside of the ant, and then the ant will explode, thus killing the ant. I have a couple ant beds in our flower bed. I need to try that and see if that works. I want to be so full of the things of God. I want to be so full of the Word of God, so full of the Spirit of God that I cause a Holy Ghost explosion in my world. I want to cause a Holy Ghost explosion in my community, on my job. I want the Word of God to do such a powerful work in me that, as the Bible says, it's good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's just exploding into my world making a change and propelling me into my future one one last uh uh, uh scripture setting and then i'll have a, a few concluding remarks first samuel chapter one verse six this this scripture setting has always fascinated me it's uh it's worthy of much study i, I will only just kind of hit the high points here this evening but it's a it's a wonderful um it's a wonderful study of David, he's on the run from Saul, and um, it's First Samuel twenty-one one through six. He's on the run from Saul. I'm not going to read it. Um, we'll just kind of go through there very quickly. He's on the run from Saul. Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son, tells him, says, "You got to get out of the presence of Saul." And I don't know if David just forgot to pack food for the journey, or if he was just in such a hurry to escape the wrath of Saul that he didn't have time. But whatever happened, however it went. David made a quick exit and he didn't have provisions for the journey. And so he comes to the tabernacle. He comes to the priest Ahimelech. And he tells Ahimelech that he's hungry. He's starving from his journey and he knows he's still got a long way to go. He needs some nourishment to get there. And so Ahimelech begins questioning David. And we gather from these questions that he's a little suspicious of David's motives. He's not quite sure what's up with David and what this is all about. From the context, you can find that David's acting a little squirrely. And in um, and, and some points, if you read closely, David's actually not being totally truthful about what's going on. It's very interesting here. But it's during this exchange that David asked the priest Ahimelech for the showbread, which is the bread that the priest would have eaten when they were ministering to the Lord in the tabernacle. And David's like, I'm starving, I'll eat whatever you got. And Ahimelech says, well, I've got this show bread, but it's for the priest. And David said, I'll eat it. This bread was set apart. It was sacred. It was for the priest. It was consecrated. But David was so hungry and he was so desperate that he convinced Ahimelech to allow him to defy the conventions and to defy really the law of God in that sense and let David eat that bread. And so, in this sense, David was so hungry and so desperate, and he knew that if he didn't eat it, he would die. There'd be no way he could run from Saul any further. Saul would find him and kill him. So, he got desperate. And this is what's amazing. After he ate the showbread, the table of showbread, he told Ahimelech, he said, Now I need a sword. I'm going to have to have something to fight with. And Ahimelech says, There's only one sword here, and that's the one that you took off of Goliath when you killed him. And it was like recognition set in with David, and he remembered. He's like, now that's a sword right there, son. That giant had a sword. I remember what that was all about when I cut off his head. He said, give me that one. And he took that sword. So now, in the presence of God, in the tabernacle of God, David has nourishment to fuel his hunger, and he has a weapon to fight. So as David moved through his hunger, he became so hungry, he became so desperate. As he moved through his hunger, he then became equipped to move into his potential. And so that was a defining moment in David's life. If you ask me, if you study David's life, this is one of the defining moments right here because it equipped him to move into his potential, but it started when he got so hungry that he became desperate. And so I want to tell you tonight, church, that if you will allow your hunger to become activated and be satisfied with nothing less than God, uh, than, than God's hand in your life and God's will in your life, that's when you can truly move into your real potential that's when you can really elevate and be what God wants you to be but it only happens when you become desperate before God when you say God nothing else will fill my hunger but you nothing else is going to do but you I will seek you with my whole heart I am desperate for you that's when you can move into your potential. Your potential is your vision for your life. It's the vision for this church. It's, it's the vision for the kingdom of God. It's, a, it's very, very much a picture of what could be and should be if we're hungry enough to reach for it. And so I want you to, I want you to ask yourself some questions tonight. Just be thinking through. How, and don't answer aloud. Don't answer aloud. But just think. How many of you tonight have promises? That God has given you. They're unfulfilled to this point. But you know God has promised you something. It may be a ministry. It may be a, a, a particular task. It may be a specific task that you know that you have to fulfill. It may be, it may be any number of things. It may be relationships uh, restored at some level. It may be family things. It may be prayers you've prayed for years that, God, that you just know God's going to answer. But you have promises. In other words, the future is full of potential. In other words, there's a picture in your mind of what could be and should be, and you have it on divine authority, that that should be in your life at some point. And once you have that, once you get that in your head, I want to ask you, are you still hungry for that? Are you still seeking that? Or have you just kind of said, you know what? Things are always going to be like things are always going to be. I hadn't seen it come to pass yet. I haven't seen the answer yet. And so, who am I to think that it'll ever come? I want to challenge you tonight. Stay hungry. Like Steve Jobs in our story at the beginning. Stay hungry. Don't let your hunger be satisfied with something less than what God has promised you. Don't be satisfied with a ministry or a calling or a gifting less than what you know is only inside. Don't lose sight of that picture of the future that produces passion in your life. Because it will come to pass if you stay hungry for it. It will come to pass. One of the greatest messages I ever heard, it really wasn't a sermon as much as it was a talk. There's a wonderful man that was in in my life for a period of time, and many of you as well, a lot of you guys know him, uh, coach, coach Dwayne Bailey. He was a five-time uh, winning baseball coach with LSU Tigers uh, when they won those five World Series, uh, College World Series, and he's since passed onto his heavenly reward, but God filled him up with the Holy Ghost, and he was an amazing man in the church, and he, he taught a great message one time, called he just called it, how easily can you eliminate distractions, how easily can you eliminate distractions, he talked about the fact that championship ball clubs, championship ball players, the, the biggest key to their, to their success, is that they can eliminate distractions. and He told a lot of stories about how when they go up to the College World Series, there are so many distractions when you get up there. You can be the best college ball club in the nation, but when you get up there, there is a distraction after distraction after distraction after distraction. And it's the teams that can eliminate that and get a laser focus on winning a championship that usually wins. He said that's, that's more important than being ranked number one. It's more important than being talented. It's more important than having all the other right ingredients. It's that focus on, on eliminating those distractions. And I'm going to tell you the same is true for you. Whatever, whatever that thing is in your mind, whatever that thing is God has promised you, the, the, the most important thing you could do in your pursuit of that is eliminate the distractions. Eliminate the tendency to doubt. Eliminate the, the tendency to say, well, it hasn't happened yet, and so it probably never will. No, 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 no. I'm here to tell you that if God's promised you something, it will come to pass. If it will, The Bible is full of examples where it took years, sometimes decades, but if God's promised it, it will come to pass. And so I want you to know tonight that you have potential. I want you to know you have a future. I want you to know there's a vision, a promise, but you've got to stay after it. You got to stay after it. Um, read an article recently. I told y'all I subscribe to the newspaper now, so I'm a really smart individual. I mean, if you want to know something, you just come talk to me because I've been reading the newspaper, and so I got all kinds of fun facts uh, hidden away in my brain. But I read the other day, and I and this is I told you the other night. I like to lay articles out for my kids to read, and this one just we just they missed it totally. I thought it was great. They they got nothing out of it. But how many ever read the story as a kid, the child's picture book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar? Did you ever read that? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, I'm almost done, I promise. I'm going to let you out a couple minutes early. And so The Very Hungry Caterpillar was written by a, name, by a guy by the name, I believe it's Eric Carle, I believe is his name. Eric Carle. I should know this because I read about it in the paper. Well, Eric Carle just turned 90 years old. And unbeknownst to all of us, The Very Hungry Caterpillar has been such a successful book, it's been translated into like 45 languages, there's 100 some million copies in print all over the world, and blah, blah, blah. Well, oh, old, old smart Mr. Carl has been building an empire very slowly over time off of this Hungry Caterpillar business, and now he has a company, I don't know what the name of the company is, maybe it's Eric Carl Inc., whatever, but... He is a very wealthy man, and he's built this enterprise all off of the success of his book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Well, now at 90 years old, he has decided to sell that company to a publishing house for guess how much? An an undisclosed amount of money. So that tells you it was a lot. It was a lot. All off of one book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. But there's a great lesson to be learned from The Very Hungry Caterpillar*. You remember the very hungry caterpillar. One day, there's a caterpillar that is so hungry that he eats an apple. But, guess what? It wasn't an apple computer. It was r- the apple tree. He eats an apple. But guess what? The apple didn't satisfy him. So the next day, he is so hungry that he ate a leaf. But guess what? The leaf didn't satisfy. And, of course, the book goes on and on. You don't need me to rehearse the whole thing. But everything that the caterpillar eats does not satisfy. Him. So finally, at the end of the week, he eats his fill. He finally gets satisfied. He eats his fill and he goes to sleep. That very hungry caterpillar does. And when turn the page to the last page of the book, you all know what happens, right? When he wakes up, Yep, I heard somebody say it. He is a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. But it was the very hungry caterpillar's hunger that got him through the processes and the steps to come out and realize his true potential of being a butterfly. And so that's the message to you tonight is that it's your hunger. It's your hunger that the ability to not be satisfied. I won't be satisfied until I reach that full Potential, become, I become that beautiful butterfly that I'm destined to be. Matthew 5 and 6, our text. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. If you hunger for it, you will be filled. You will become that very beautiful caterpillar. You'll reach your potential. Amen. Let's stand together, if you will. I want to challenge you tonight. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Blessed are the hungry don't be satisfied let's pray together and then I'm going to dismiss you out into the cold arctic air for the remainder of your evening God bless you tonight Jesus we are so thankful for your word I especially thankful for Grace Church what an amazing community of believers what a wonderful family Lord I thank you that every every time we're together Lord there's synergy there's there's vision that's breathed there's vision that's taught and preached and realized and so tonight I pray is no different that you would you would just take these words that have been said and that you would apply them to our heart Lord let us live them out that's the hard part it's easy to listen but it's hard to live these out so in the coming days help us to find ways to apply this to our life to be everything you've called us to be we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus name everybody say in Jesus name Amen. Remember to vote Saturday and remember to be at church Sunday. Amen. Amen. Stay warm out there. God bless you in Jesus name.